God, this morning we are so grateful to gather as the church um, and be encouraged in so many ways, to be encouraged through worshiping you in song, uh, to be encouraged by opening your word and receiving instruction from you and teaching from you and, and your word. And Lord, we are so excited to be encouraged through celebrating new life in baptism, baptizing four people this morning. I'm just so uh, excited to see how the stories of these four people and your grace in their life is going to just encourage the church body. And so, Lord, we Thank you for this. It's your grace in our lives. And we pray for your guidance now as we read from the book of Jonah and study it together, Lord. And God, I pray that you would help us as we study this this morning, that specifically, Lord, you would help us to be aware of how our hearts believe this lie that says that our joy is found in our own will and being able to impose our own will in our lives. And and I pray, Lord, that you would graciously root that lie out of our hearts and replace it with the truth that our joy is found in being aligned with your will in our lives. Help us, Lord, with that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, if you were here with us, we began a study in the book of Jonah and did an introduction to the book. So if you missed that, you can find it on our podcast. But one of the things we said about the book of Jonah is that the book of Jonah is not a prophetic book because Jonah preached a prophetic message. Actually, the book of Jonah is a prophetic message book because of the story it tells us of Jonah's life. Jonah's life in itself is prophetic. And what we mean by that is Jonah, he's kind of like a mirror to our hearts. As we read this book, the desires and the motivations that are deep inside of Jonah are revealed. And we're forced as the reader to look into the mirror of our own lives and ask the question, is there any of that inside of our own hearts? Uh, not too long ago, I was looking for a new book to read, and so I'm, I'm normally uh, reading heavy stuff. And uh, so I just wanted something fun and lighthearted, and so I picked up the Harry Potter series. Started to read that. And in the first books, if you've read it, in the first book, Harry, in the story, he stumbles upon this mirror. And it's this magic mirror. And what this mirror does is when you look into it, this mirror shows you the deepest desire of your heart. And so when Harry looks into the mirror, he sees his mom and dad because he's lost his mom and dad as a baby. And so the deepest desire in his heart is to have his mom and dad back. So that's what he sees when he looks into the mirror. Well, Dumbledore, the school headmaster, comes into the scene and tells Harry more about this mirror. And this is what Dumbledore says. So yes, I'm quoting Harry Potter in a sermon. (laughs) This is what he says. He says, this mirror will give us neither knowledge or truth. Men have wasted away before it, entranced by what they have seen, or been driven mad, not knowing if what it shows is real or even possible. 
See, when mankind sinned against God, all of creation broke. We talked about this last week. And our hearts, the desires of our hearts are now fallen. And one of the things that happened is all of mankind began to live their life according to a lie. And that lie is this, that my joy is found in having the deepest desires of my heart. That's where my joy is. And the reason why that's a lie is because now our deepest desires are fallen affected by sin. And so just like Dumbledore said in the book, a man will waste his life away staring into that mirror because it's a glimpse of the heart's true desire and he's driven mad because it's always out of grasp. What our hearts long for seems to always be out of grasp. So life is frustrating and disappointing because we can never seem to actually get what we most long for. And we dream of just being able to impose our will on the world and the people around us so we can have what we want. If everyone around us in all of our circumstances would just get aligned with our will, with what our heart desires, then life would be much better. And maybe that's actually the true lie of the fall that my joy is found in being able, having the power, the ability to impose my will on the world. Don't you wish you could just impose your will? Uh, Don't you wish you could just impose your will on your kids? Will you just obey? Would you just do one thing without arguing? Would you just wait till the alarm clock goes off to get out of bed? Would you just take a nap, just eat your dinner, please clean up your toys, right? Even though you are a three-year-old, I will you to have the maturity of a 30-year-old, right? Or don't you wish you could impose your will on your career? Would, Would you just promote me to the job that I deserve? Give me the raise that I have earned. Would my boss just take notice of the hard work and my value in the company? Would my idea just explode? in growth so I can do what I want. Or maybe imposing your will on relationships, right? Would you just respect me? Would you just sweep me off my feet? Would you just stop nagging me? Would you just notice me? Or speaking of mirrors, imposing your will on the body that you hate looking at in the mirror. Would you just be thinner or taller or you name it? How much of our life do we spend frustrated, exasperated, angry because our will seems to be out of grasp and the people and the circumstances around us just won't cooperate? And we stall out, waste life away, kind of like looking in that mirror and seeing the deepest desires of our hearts and wasting away because we believe the lie that our joy is found, that the good life is found in having whatever we see. And this morning as we study the book of Jonah again together, we are going to see how Jonah lived according to this lie and how that at the end of the book actually leaves Jonah angry and alone. 
So as we trace through this complete story again, remember how we're preaching through Jonah, we want to look at the whole story every single week. As we do this again, let's pay careful attention to the conflict that we see between the very clear will of God and the will of Jonah in this story. God wants Jonah to align with his will, and Jonah would like God to align with his will. Right? So let's look at this. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Let me open the story up for us again. Here's what we see. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish. From the Lord's presence, he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So immediately as this story opens, God's will on Jonah's life is very clear. Go to Nineveh and preach, right? Jonah didn't need to get on his knees and go, God, is this a sign? You know, is this what you're calling me to do? It's very clear. Go to Nineveh, preach against it, right? So don't you sometimes desire to have that kind of clarity when it comes to God's will in your life? Right, right, that you just say it to me. Just, just tell me what to do. But it's interesting because sometimes God's will isn't clear to us, not because God isn't being clear, it's because we just don't want to do his will. We just don't like it. So we go, well, that's not clear. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Jonah clearly did not want to align himself with the will of God, and he attempts to actually align God to his own will by getting on a ship and heading in the opposite direction of Nineveh. You know, God called me to the ministry when I was in high school. It was clear. I I can't explain it, but I knew in high school that God wanted me to go into the ministry, but then something happened. See, my entire high school experience was basically dominated by football. Played for the football team. We had a good team. We won almost every game we played. We had great coaches. And so it became a year-round, all-consuming thing for me through all of high school. And then there was my senior year. I was one of the captains of the team. And then we had our last game. Now, I wasn't planning on playing in college. I I decided to go to Bible school because God had called me into ministry. So I was going to go get a degree in Bible. But I remember taking my pads off for the last time and it kind of threw me into an identity crisis. So everything changed for me. I decided to switch my studies from Bible to exercise physiology. And I was determined, even though I wasn't going to play, to stay involved in football somehow. I ran in the opposite direction of where God was calling me. And it, it seemed like I was being successful. I enjoyed what I was studying. I landed a great internship as a strength coach at University of Maryland football team. I even got offered an internship with the Washington Redskins. So I, I, w- I was pretty good at this job. But then God sent a storm into my life. I can't explain it. It was subtle. It took the form of depression, anxiety, this feeling like, 
I am just not headed in the direction that God wants me to go in. I'm un- Even though I have all this success, all of this opportunity before me, for some reason I'm unhappy with it. Felt as if I was running from God's will. Then this is what God does with Jonah. In order to reroute Jonah from imposing his own will to being in alignment with God's will, God sends a literal storm. Chapter 1, verses 4 to 11 says, but the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship headed to Tarshish threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God, little g, God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailor said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business And where are you from? What is your country? And what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you? so that the sea will calm down for us, for the sea was getting worse and worse. Now, when God sent the storm into my life to reroute my heart and my ambitions away from my own will and into God's will for my life, I had that moment with God. That moment where I repented of trying to impose my will, go against what he was telling me to do, where I dropped all of the opportunities before me. I'll never forget telling the Redskins, thanks but no thanks. And I began to pursue God's call in my life. And so at this point with Jonah, with these sailors, what they are asking him, right? What should we do to stop this storm? You would think that Jonah would come to his senses, That he would, right there on the ship, get on his knees before God and say, God, okay, I get it. You told me to go to Nineveh. I ran the opposite direction. I'm sinning before you. Forgive me. I will go to Nineveh. I will obey your will in my life. I believe you're good and just repented there. I am certain that if Jonah dropped to his knees and repented before God, God would have made the storm relent. But Jonah dug in his heels even more. Look at this, verses 12 to 16 in chapter one. He answered them. So Jonah answered the sailors, pick me up, throw me into the sea, that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord. So they're now calling out to Jonah's God. Please, Lord, Don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you've pleased. 
And they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So I am sure that Jonah knew that being tossed into the raging sea meant certain death for him. No way he was going to survive. So either this was Jonah's final attempt to thwart God's will by being willing to die than align himself with God's will. Or maybe Jonah felt that this is what he deserved, being condemned by God and dying for his disobedience. Either way, instead of Jonah repenting before God and vowing to go to Nineveh, he still chooses to go against God's will. But God is much more stubborn than Jonah. If you look at chapter one, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jump to chapter two, verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Let's try this again. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. It took another storm in the form of being eaten by a fish, for Jonah to eventually obey God's will in his life. So he goes to the city of Nineveh, and Jonah preaches a very uncompelling sermon. Remember the sermon that he preaches on the streets of Nineveh. So he's in Nineveh. His sermon is five Hebrew words. Chapter 4, verse 4. It is not chapter 4, verse 4. My notes are wrong. Let's see. Here it goes. It is chapter 3. Verses 4, chapter 3, verse 4, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. That's his sermon. So, a few things to note about this sermon. There's a few things missing. Jonah does not mention God in this sermon. Jonah does not mention why Nineveh is going to be demolished. Jonah does not call the Ninevites to repentance. In fact, there is no good news in Jonah's sermon. I mean, it'd be like if I went to Herndon, the town green in the middle of the Herndon Festival, and said, in 40 days, Herndon's going to be demolished. It wouldn't go well. But even though this sermon was missing all of these key components, God used this sermon in order to bring the Ninevites to repentance, to change their hearts to forgive them of their sin. So listen, it's extremely clear in the text that God's will for the Ninevites was that they would repent, humble themselves before God, and that they would be saved, that they would experience the grace and the mercy of God. That's God's will. It's also clear in the text that God wanted to do that work through the mouth of Jonah, no matter how bad his sermon was. Now, the text doesn't say this, uh, what I'm about to say, so I'll, I would admit that what I'm about to say is speculation. But it almost seems to me that this is another attempt by Jonah to thwart God's will and impose his will. It's almost like, I want to do just enough, God, to be obedient to what you told me to do, 
So I'm going to put as minimal effort forward, as minimal emphasis or enthusiasm forward. I'll be able to go check the box off that I walked into Nineveh and I preached. And I gave them the warning that you told me to give them, that they would be demolished in 40 days. And the reason why I think this is because of Jonah's response to God when he sees that the Ninevites repent and he sees that God relents from his judgment and he doesn't demolish them. Look at Jonah's response, verses one to three of chapter four. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was in my country That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. I knew what your will was, Lord. I wasn't questioning your will. I just didn't want it. Chapter uh, verse three. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah was not motivated to go and plead with these people to repent, that they might experience the grace and the mercy of God because he wants them to be demolished. He doesn't want them to repent. He knows God is one who will forgive. God is one who responds to repentance. And so he just announces judgment, and yet God still uses that to bring repentance. So again, we see the will of Jonah is at odds with the will of God. God's will was to save the Ninevites. Jonah's will was to see the Ninevites demolished. And this leaves Jonah so bitter, so angry, so frustrated that he sits on the side of the hill and he pouts. A prophet of God who has a book in our Bible sitting on the side of the hill, stalled out, wasting his life away, alone, bitter, and angry because God is a God of mercy. But God's will is not complete. Again, as I said, God's will is more stubborn than ours. All of this was not just about saving some sailors or saving the Ninevites, but God also wanted to do something in Jonah's heart. So God makes a plant grow to provide Jonah some shade from the hot sun as he's pouting on the side of the hill. And this plant is pure grace. This is nothing but God's kindness to Jonah. Jonah did nothing to make that plant grow. He did not plant that seed and water it. It just grew. Jonah had nothing to do with it. But Jonah liked this plant because of the shade it provided. But then God kills the plant for the expressed purpose of provoking Jonah's anger, might I add. So, to reveal that Jonah's anger is really not about the Ninevites being saved, but Jonah's anger really is rooted in him not getting his way. Jonah's anger is rooted in not having the power and ability to impose his will on the world around him. He believes that his joy is found in being able to get his way and impose his will. So look at this, chapter four, verse nine to 11, the last verses in the book. God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. 
So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not make it grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left as well as many animals? In the book. Here's what God is saying. Jonah, you did nothing to create that plant, yet you love that plant because that plant served you. The 120,000 people who live in Nineveh are my creation, just like you are, Jonah. And I love them just like I love you. And I desire for them to be saved just like I desire for you to be saved, Jonah. You care about a plant more than 120,000 souls because you care about yourself more than 120,000 souls. See, at the center of Jonah's will was Jonah, as expressed by Jonah's love for Jonah. And at the center of God's will is God. The glory of God as expressed by God's love for his creation. See, here's the hard truth about the sin in our hearts. This is the mirror that we gotta look in as we read this story and we see into the heart of Jonah. If we ask ourselves this question, if this past week, if God gave you the ability to impose your will on the world, If, let's just say, for everything you got frustrated over last week, if you had the ability to get your way in those things, who would primarily benefit? Whose life would get easier? Who would be at the center? See, God's will is a sum total of the millions and millions of things that God is doing all at one time together in the world, and it's always working towards bringing salvation to his creation. That's what God is up to. And the lie that we believe is that life will get good when we can get our way. But our experience suggests that believing that lie only leads to bitterness and frustration. Look at Jonah. God had just used him to bring 120,000 people to repentance. And he's frustrated because he didn't get his way. I, I mean, instead of pouting on the side of the hill, he could be down on the streets rejoicing with people breaking bread with his new brethren, sharing in the goodness of God, pure joy. But he's alone, he's bitter, and he's negative. Our joy is not found in imposing our will on the world. Our joy is found in being aligned with God's will, with laying our will down, confessing that our will is fallen, it's selfish, and submitting ourselves to God's will. It's where our joy is found. So if that's the case, how do we recognize when we're trying to impose our own will on the world? And how do we align ourselves back on the will of God? I want us to spend the rest of our time thinking about this. And I have three questions that I think all of us need to get into a habit of asking ourselves, reflecting upon in our hearts when we feel 
frustration in life, when we feel as if we're not getting our way. So I encourage you to, to write these down if you can in your bulletin or something and, and use these regularly as a way of reflecting on your heart. Okay, so three questions. Here's question number one. Question number one, am I prioritizing my comfort? When you're feeling frustration that you're not being able to impose your will on the world or the people around you, you're not getting the things that you want, ask yourself if you are prioritizing your comfort, and if so, what are you prioritizing it over? See, you have to get this. Outside circumstances cannot create anger and frustration inside of you, right? It's how you interpret those circumstances that create that anger inside of you, right? So to steal an illustration from Paul Tripp, if you're sitting in traffic and you are frustrated, it's not the traffic that is frustrating. It's what you bring to the traffic, Right? Have you ever been grateful for traffic? I mean, there's been times I've been listening to a podcast and, you know, I'm like, hey, I, I'd love to finish this. The traffic delays me, so, hey, I get time to finish it. Or have you ever been driving to a meeting you really don't want to go to and you hit traffic and you're like, okay, I'm good sitting in the car a little extra. Or maybe it's the lady who didn't have enough time to put makeup on in the morning and so traffic provides a few extra minutes to get that done, right? You can be grateful for traffic. So how do you explain one person in one car frustrated at the traffic, but the person in the car right next to them is happy that there is traffic? Because to one person, the traffic worked according to their will. And to the other person, the traffic is going against their will. Outside circumstances don't cause frustration in our hearts. It's what we bring to it that causes frustration. And when something goes against our will and threatens our comfort, we get frustrated. This is why Jonah was frustrated at the salvation of the Ninevites and at the death of the plant. He was frustrated that God saved the Ninevites because he saw himself as better than the Ninevites and he was frustrated that the plant died because the plant provided him comfort. When we feel frustration in life, it normally means we are prioritizing our comfort over the people around us and over God's will in our life. All right, so let that sink in. When we feel frustration in life, it normally means we're prioritizing ourselves over the people around us and God's will and nothing will rob you of your joy in this life than prioritizing yourself over God and others. It will leave you alone and it will leave you frustrated. Question number two, when you're trying to figure out, am I imposing my will in the world and how do I align myself with God's will, maybe ask this question, where is God's grace in this storm? Where is God's grace in this storm? God sends storms in our life because he loves us as a good, good father and because he wants to reroute us to his will. I love Hebrews chapter 12, verses seven to 11. Just teaches us about how God is a good father to us, leading us, listen to this, 
passage, it says, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons and daughters. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God's discipline is a sign that he is our father. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live, our heavenly father? For they disciplined for us a short time based on what seemed good to them. Many of us had fathers that disciplined us and it was not for our good. But he, our father in heaven, does it for our benefit so we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When you are experiencing suffering and a storm in your life, it's good to stop and reflect on God's grace to you in the storm. It was God's grace to Jonah that he sent the storm while he was on the ship, that he sent the fish to swallow him up, that he killed off the plants so he could reveal the condition of Jonah's heart. It's a good practice to develop a habit of looking for God's grace in the storms of your life. I mean, listen, the most successful leaders in business are, are those who take setbacks and adversity in their company and as opportunities, right, to get creative, to grow, to propel the company forward to new territories. It's the same spiritually. How can we see suffering in this life as not God's punishment in our life, but his grace to align us with his will? What is he trying to teach you? How is he trying to reroute you? How might he be trying to get your attention? Because it's all of his grace and his goodness. He is fighting for your joy. I'm grateful that God sent a storm into my life, caused me to walk away from amazing opportunities, and rerouted me to his will in my life. James 1, verses 2 to 4 says, Consider it great joy, brothers and sisters whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And question number three, how am I imposing my will on the world and how can I get aligned to God's will? Well, maybe ask this question, am I viewing others, the people around me, as God views them. At the end of the book of Jonah, this was the clear conclusion. God and Jonah view the Ninevites differently. God has compassion on them and wants them to be saved. He sees them as wayward, not knowing their right from their left. He sees them as someone who needs a guide and a savior. Jonah sees them as nothing but wicked scum. So when we get frustrated with others because they get in our way and they get in the way of our own will, are we viewing them as God views them? Do we have the same compassion on them as God does when your kids don't obey? When your boss makes a decision you don't like? When your spouse doesn't take interest in you? 
when someone cuts you off in traffic, makes a snarky comment at you, when you scoff at your own body as you look at it in the mirror? Are you viewing that person as God does? Is it possible that we have reduced the value of the people around us, including our very own selves, down to their ability to conform to our will? Am I prioritizing comfort? Where's God's grace in this storm? Do I view others as God views them? When you get frustrated in life, when others are in your way, when things aren't working out the way that you like, if you test your heart against these questions, I promise you will begin to live a life joyfully within the will of God, not bitter and alone. And the truth is, there was someone else that God the Father sent to a distant land to bring the message of salvation. And that was the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to leave his heavenly dwelling and become one of us. And unlike Jonah, who was just as sinful as the people of Nineveh, Jesus was completely righteous. Being God himself, Jesus could claim superiority over us. But he came not to just preach a message of salvation. He came to give his life to accomplish salvation. He came not just to be served. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Just hours before Jesus was arrested and would eventually be put on the cross, he was praying to God. He was so anxious, he was sweating blood. And this is the prayer that Jesus prays to God, Mark 14, 36. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. I don't wanna do this. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus had become human. He felt fear. He felt the desire to have a different will than his father. But he knew that was a lie. He never believed it. He didn't believe it was true. He never believed the lie that it's better to try and impose a different will than his father. And so Jesus, instead of prioritizing his own comfort, endured the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin, made righteous in the sight of God, and given eternal life. And Jesus, instead of forsaking the storm that was coming his way, he experienced the most dark and fierce storm. And having his own father forsake him in our place so that we could experience the grace of God. And Jesus, instead of appealing to his own righteousness over ours, and he washes our feet and willingly gives his life for us because he loves us just as his father in heaven loves us. Your joy is not found in your will. Your joy is found in resting in the grace of God in Jesus Christ and laying down your will out before God, out of love for God 
and out of love for the people around you. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning as we reflect on the life of Jonah again, we just come before you, Lord, and Lord, we wanna lay our hearts out, bare before you, and we want you, Lord, to use your word to guide us away from sin and into joy. Lord, we believe that all of your commands are for our joy. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who would have the self-awareness to evaluate our hearts and evaluate our lives and try to discern where am I trying to impose my will on God, on the world around me, And how is that just leading to nothing but frustration? And Lord, would you help us to see that although it might be hard, although it might mean that we have to make hard choices, that it is better to be aligned with your will, that that is for our joy, that we don't have to be worried about what collateral damage could occur from being aligned with your will because Lord, you are sovereign over it all. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would be a people who come before you and surrender it all because we trust you and because, Lord, we believe that you truly love us and we know that, Lord, because of Jesus, because you sent him here to us to accomplish salvation for us, to bear our sin on the cross so we don't have to, to give us new life, to lead us to joy. So, Lord, may we trust in Jesus this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.